This is a Clark University podcast. All right, gang, let's really nail it this time. Here we go. A one, a two, a one, two, three, four. RFU contains grown-up themes and occasional coarse language when they get carried away. Please take care while listening. Ice cream professors, my name is Adam Chamel, and I am a close friend to the podcast. Recommended for you this week is the film Step Brothers from 2008, made in the U.S. of A. and directed by Adam McKay. The film stars Will Ferrell, John C. Riley, Richard Jenkins, Mary Steenburgen, Adam Scott, and Katherine Hahn. For me, at first, I hated it, and then I probably have seen it three other times. And each time, I have thought it's funnier and funnier, and now I've gotten to the point where I straight up like it. I wanted to hear what y'all had to say about it. All right, thanks. This. This. This is recommended for you. For you. For you. A podcast where Clark University Screen Studies professors watch and discuss films suggested by the. 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 Community! Welcome to RFU. I'm Soren Sorensen. I'm Hugh Mannon. And I'm Rock Sommer. And today we're talking about a film recommended by one of my besties, Adam. Thank you for calling in. What is this movie, Hugh? We're going to watch the 2008 film Step Brothers, directed by Adam McKay, produced by Jimmy Miller and Judd Apatow, and written by Will, how do you pronounce this? Farrell? Will Farrell? <laughs> Farrell? I think people Farrell. say Farrell. <laughs> and Adam McKay. Walter Matthau. <laughs> Adam McKay is, of course, known for such films as Don't Look Up, The Big Short, Talladega Nights, and Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy, the latter two of which were co-written by, what's his name again? Will Farrell. And so I thought we would go through the characters' names, which I think really helped to structure the sum sum. So uh, the characters in this film are Brennan Huff, played by Will Farrell. Dale Doback, played by John C. Riley. Brennan's mother, Nancy, Mary Steenburgen, who is divorced. Dale's father, Robert, who is a widower, Richard Jenkins. And Derek, Adam Scott, who is Nancy's youngest son and Brennan's successful, very fratty brother. Alice, Catherine Hahn, is Derek's wife, who hates Derek with a white-hot intensity. <laughs> so here's kind of a little synopsis of, of what happens in this film. Robert and Nancy meet at a conference, quickly fall in love, get married, and as a result, Brennan and Dale, both 40-year-old sons who live at home, become stepbrothers. They move into the Doback's house, and Dale and Brennan have to share a room. It is revealed that Brennan was a gifted singer, but has never sung since a traumatic experience at a high school talent show. The two man-children, that's an interesting word that you don't get to say very often. The two man-children are virtually... I, all the time. <laughs> I was going to say, speak for yourself. <laughs> the two man-children are virtually at war with one another in the house. For instance, there is one rule of the house. Don't ever, ever, ever touch Dale's drum set. Brennan, of course, rubs his testicles all over Dale's drum kit. The result is a front yard brawl, which Nancy intervenes to break up, but she is attacked by the neighbor's guide dog. After this fight, the two stepbrothers bond. Robert gives them an ultim- Robert the father gives them an ultimatum. They have one month to get a job. The two are both sleepwalkers and trash various rooms in their somnambulant excursions. Can you spell that? So at this point... Derek, his wife Alice, and his two kids enter the film as the new antagonist. Derek is the kind of guy who goes fishing with Mark Cuban, Chris Daughtry, Jeff. 
What about now? What about I, here? I feel Maybe like I I'm broke living. us. I feel like my new leaf intro just destroyed us. I just, I, I, I'll say I, it again. I truly, I like Chris Daughtry, especially his hair. Derek is the kind of guy who goes fishing with Mark Cuban, Chris Daughtry, Jeff Probst, Bobby Flay. <laughs> Some writer's <laughs> idea of the quadfecta of pop culture douchebaggery. Robert has a crush on Derek, who he finds impressive, unlike his son Dale. Alice discovers Alice develops a crush on Dale when he punches Derek and knocks him out of the treehouse. This is so insane. I don't even know why I should go on with this. Like, it doesn't, it literally doesn't make sense. He doesn't, uh, Doback Sr. doesn't have a crush on Derek. It's more like a son crush. Like, he yeah, kind yeah, of wishes yeah, yeah. he was his son, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, totally. Like, a, like, a, I don't even know how to explain it. Like, a. I mean, it does get weirdly sexual one moment. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But, but it's also, it's not the same. It's not as, it doesn't, it's not consummated like Alice's uh, totally. crush on, yeah, on Derek. They're not yeah. in parallel with one another. Certainly not. Um, okay. So let me, and this is just one more paragraph. <laughs> the rest of the film largely depicts the stepbrother's quest to find jobs. This problem is amplified when Robert and Nancy decide to sell the house forcing the stepbrothers out and on top of this they are required to get therapy they hatch a plan to start a multinational corporation based on their music skills starting with a music video for the song boats and hose leading i can't even go through with this like is this for real you like wrote it just it. sound i it's hard for me to i'm starting to like what's that word where where you kind of like start to derealize like you you look into the mirror and you don't think it's your face Disassociate? Disassociate. I'm just <laughs> disassociating from my own synopsis here. Uh, boats and hose like leads to the parents' <laughs> divorce and culminates in the Act Three Catalina wine mixer debacle, yeah. at which Brennan and Dale perform and emerge triumphant, re- reuniting the family, including Derek, but not including Alice, who Dale dumps yes. on a cliff. Oh, <laughs> who Dale dumps on a cliff overlooking the ocean by saying, "Hey, look at that whale!" and running away. <laughs> I mean, it's really it's chaos to try to describe this, even though it's actually a really straightforward narrative, like what goes on yeah. microscopically or even like macroscopically scene by scene is just bonkers. I took the liberty of looking this up on the Common Sense Media website to see how they rate it. And so here's how they rate it. <laughs> <laughs> I looked so, it up on that website as well. So, OK, so sex, romance and nudity, five out of five. Bad language, five out of five. Products and purchases. I don't even know what that means. Five out of five. Positive like consumerism or something. Right. <laughs> positive messages. One out of five. Positive role models. Also one out of five. Nice. So this th- that tells you kind of what you need to know about this. Like this is a movie that is loaded with like saucy language, lots of sex, and absolutely no morally redeeming qualities whatsoever. And I, I kind of, I don't know. We'll have to talk about whether that's true. Roger Ebert gave this film one and a half stars. He's very hung up on the bad language in the film, which he finds egregious and unmotivated. And here's what he said. Sometimes I think I am living in a nightmare. <laughs> all about me. All about me. Standards are collapsing. Manners are evaporating. People show no respect for themselves. I am not a moralistic nut. I'm proud of the X-rated movie I once wrote. I like vulgarity if it's funny and serves a purpose. But what is going on here? So maybe we should begin with that. What was that X-rated movie that Roger Ebert wrote yeah, for a million dollars? Beyond the Valley of the Dolls? Ah, good answer. Uh, is that it? Yeah. I like that movie. The, the explicit vulgarity 
It's just motivated by them being men of an indeterminate generation. It's really doubly complicated because when you watch the film, it's like they're playing two different ages simultaneously. And I think this is the most fascinating thing about the experience of the film is that you're looking at these guys who are on on some level like truly trying to inhabit the body and mentality of a what? 13, 14 year old, something like that. I don't know how old we're supposed to 15, think. 15, 16. 15, 16. But there's a swing, though. I mean, sometimes they seem like they're like 10, and other times they seem like they're 18. Or, you but, know, so, uh, yeah, I think it's. Yeah. yeah, totally. But sometimes they seem fully 40 years old, right? So, and I think that's when the, the obscene language gets kicks into full gear. And this is a film that is just rife with, insa- with, with obscenity. Like, it's a film that's as obscene, I think, as it gets in some ways um, and is not hesitating to do that. So, in a way, like we're we're asked to do the impossible, so we're watching these people and, and sort of coaxed into thinking that somehow they're naive and they're they're, they're, children, right? they're mentally stunted and that they're too young and that they're children, right? And and ultimately, then the film busts out <laughs> these completely bizarre sorts of gear shifts into forty-year-old psychology, and. The film doesn't like it's not that the film doesn't know what it's doing. The film fully understands that that's what it's doing. There, there are there are moments of unmotivated vulgarity in it where, where it's like either Mary Steenburgen um, or, or Richard Jenkins who are who they, they say these these swears. It sounds like they they like they're not doing enough pearl clutching about it. Like they're not winding up to it or something. It's almost like they're 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 trying to have their cake and eat it too, where it's like, well, I'm not used to saying these words and yet I can sort of like bust out this vulgarity. I think it's very funny when the sort of man children uh, do it. And, and I don't know, I think it's less funny when Richard Jenkins and Mary Steenburgen totally. do it. Let, let me give you a concrete example of what I'm talking about here, because I think it's hard to get your head around if you're just thinking about it abstractly. So Will Ferrell, uh, during the, the scene or after the scene I mentioned, when the dog comes over from the neighbor's yard and attacks Mary Steenburgen, he says, my mom is being eaten by a dog and there's nothing I can do which sounds like i guess like a young child sort of pathetic observation of this horrible trauma that's unfolding in front of them and then the absolute knock me on the floor i was laughing so hard line where basically they say we're selling the house we're by the parents say we're selling the house we're gonna go on this boat we're going on a worldwide trip and you guys have to you're, you're done like you have to get a job and get out of this house and Will Ferrell, in the most sincere way possible, says, What the fuck happened? Hey, look, I know this seems really, really sudden and just sort of unfair and cruel. But it's and, non-negotiable. But it's non-negotiable. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I just think that's exactly how someone would respond to having their <laughs> the carpet pulled out from under them in one fell swoop. And so in some ways, like it, it really feels like the film wants to have it completely both ways at all times. And I just don't know quite what to make of that. It's what makes the film funny, for sure. I don't think everybody agreed with Ebert at the time, but I definitely don't think this film was very popular at the time. Like, this was a three-star film that has ascended to sort of, like, top of the stack. And so this is another thing I'd want to address here, which is I think this is a film that kind of is the purest. It's not the... If if it's not the best articulation of the Adam McKay, Judd Apatow... Will Ferrell, you know, thing that they're <laughs> that they're chasing, like so maybe like Anchorman is I don't know like Talladega Nights yeah. maybe that's the best yeah. articulation of it, but this is the purest articulation of it. Mm. This is the kind of stripped down hot rod, you know, really mess you up tight version of this, 
And I think it just is completely unapologetic. And that's why people like it. So if you like this subgenre of a subgenre, then this is the one you're going to like the most because it's just completely unapologetic about what it's doing. To put another time spin on it, had I seen this movie in 2008, I am certain I would have hated it so hard. But now as See, I, I near... I think I would have liked it a lot better if I'd seen it. Whereas now, as I near, near 40 myself, I like I was charmed. You know, like Adam yeah. called in saying it sort of grew on him in multiple viewings. Like I, I was skeptical for the first 20, 25 minutes. But um, really, by the time Adam Scott has his 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 sneak intro piqued my interest, oh my his God, uh, his ice ice baby on sixteen millimeter, ugh, I like love him and love to hate him. You know, like he's, and then and then the sweet uh, child of mine acapella with, oh the, with the yes. kids and, and his wife in the car. <laughs> oh yes. So by that moment. That moment, also, I didn't know Catherine Hahn was in this movie before oh, I hit play. No, but like her arrival and them showing up doing acapella in the car, psychotic. She's got a smile that it seems to me reminds me of childhood memories where everything was as fresh as a bright blue sky. At that point, the feet are up, the blanket is snug, and yeah. I am like in for the ride. But like, totally. yeah, yeah, 2008 me would have like wanted wanted to like stab some men after watching this movie. <laughs> All these other films that we're talking about, like uh, you know, Anchorman, uh, Talladega Nights, these are like genres, and they're kind of about places, and they're about you know time frames and so forth. But like, this is a film that I I don't think is that. And I think it kind of goes in a much more just base human direction. So this is a film that kind of addresses something that everybody goes through, which is growing up. So nobody is sort of immune to this. You can't sort of point to these characters and sort of say, well, you know, I don't relate because I can't understand growing up. Everybody understands growing up. And and certainly this thing that we've been talking about sort of around the edges, the idea that, you know, at some point, if you live in this country, you've got to confront the fact, and really if you live anywhere, you've got to confront the fact that like capitalism rules the day and somehow you've got to find your way into this system in a way that, that makes sense, works for you, and is not you know completely a source of allergy that just sort of kicks you out of the system. And so when you look at these two you know, young men who are actually middle-aged men <laughs> trying to find their way into a job, one thing that becomes amply clear is that, you know, maybe we all should be rethinking the way we think about jobs. It kind of reminds me of that thing, that that trope that you constantly gets point out, pointed out by people who are on the job market. You can't get a job unless you've got experience, but you can't get experience unless you've got a job. That's exactly the position these two two guys are in. And they they can't figure it out, but they're they're kind of working it their own way. So that we, when they go in for job interviews, they're they're interviewing the interviewers, which doesn't work, and they're mispronouncing the names of the interviewers, which of course causes another problem. So I, it's like they 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 they're being much more honest and direct about how one would, in some sort of again feral way, not to pun on Will Ferrell's name, but in some sort of feral child way, 
they're like feral children on these job interviews and trying to figure their way into this capitalist system. But the fact is that this film really does posit a world in which there is no other alternative, right? So it's not like you can persist in being the 40-year-old kid living at home and kind of play the drums and wrestle around in the front yard and go up in the treehouse. Like, you've got to be a capitalist. And this film fully knows that in a way that the big short fully knows that, right? So To be clear, like, as long as you're of, like, a certain upper middle class or lower background because if these are filthy rich kids then like this isn't even the movie right um yeah i mean i I did love that like when they shared uh their we're gonna share with you like our our weaknesses so we're honest up front which like sort of is like a you know spin on that like preparing for the interview to be like what's your greatest weakness and then you have to like put a positive spin on how you're too hard working and i was just like oh my god <laughs> part of me that thought that we were all going to hate this movie or for some reason and i don't it's it's just this kind of like i do i find it fascinating rocks that you said in 2008 you would have hated this film and i think i would have liked it more in 2008 and maybe it's not fascinating maybe it's just like if you're in the sweet spot of the of the right age for this then you're you're going to enjoy something about it. I mean, you also have to. I read more than one review that said um, that if you like Will Ferrell and John C. Riley's shtick, that you, you're going to like the movie. Like you know, so there's certain people that that's probably off-putting for, and that's okay. I mean, it's like I, I mean, I think I'm one of those people. I yeah. think John C. Riley has made a number of movies that are are deep and close to my heart. I never. You know, Will Ferrell is like, you know, if whatever SNL generation is the generation that like you came of age, like for like you for you, that's the one like he's that for me. And I didn't get it and I didn't like mm. it. And I didn't get Anchorman. I still resent them for kicking a dog off a bridge. And like now I think I could handle a dog <laughs> being kicked off a bridge, honestly, which is wild. Well, no animals because... <laughs> were harmed during the making of the film. Yeah. So, it, but yeah, um, yeah, it is. There's some cruelty involved, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, yeah. Curious. Like, I think the ickiness of teenage boys was, like, closer to my reality in 2008. I wasn't a teenager, but, like, you know, like, I, these, these guys remind me of, like, people I was friends with in high school. And, like, and I have a lot of, like, feelings about why I was friends with them for so long. Like, you know, um, but now, I don't know, it's, like, kind of. Now they remind me of our students or something, and they're kind of like charming. I don't know, like it's endearing. I like the the me that's seeing them as teenagers rather than as forty year olds. I'm like, oh, they'll figure it out. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Like, You're like rooting for them in in a weird way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and let's be let's also be clear. Like their their lifestyle, you know, is is made possible by a certain upper middle middle class upbringing. Yes. It's not that they they aren't super rich. We you know as we said. It would be a different film, but they but they're able to sort of be supportive, supported rather, not supportive. Um, and and their and their 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 parents, their 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 mother and father have, have especially their father, played by Richard Jenkins, the pride of Rhode Island, um, you know, is is wanting to retire and and go sail on his boat, which gets destroyed during the film and turned essentially into a treehouse by the end. Um, sorry for the spoilers if you haven't seen it, um, but it is it is it is clear that they're if they would just get a job then everything would be okay which is again reinforcing that capitalist ideology which is like this is all you need in order to make everybody happy in your life all around yourself and and, and your parents included yeah and i mean it really that aspect of it is 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 
very prescribed. So there's this scene late in the film where where they're at the uh, Catalina wine mixer, <laughs> and <laughs> this is the I Catalina wine mixer. <laughs> I knew Hugh would like. I like. I hear phrases now. Yeah. And the hue is in my head, and I'm like, this is such a hue phrase. You know what? You're totally right. And it, But it's so funny because <laughs> you'd think it would be because they keep repeating it. But the first time I heard it in the film, I was like, the fucking Catalina wine mixer. <laughs> like, all they had to do was say it once, and I'm what? totally on board with this. This is the Catalina wine mixer. Like, they say it it's, over and over and over again. So but it's, so, it's just so perfect, right? But so they're at this, whatever that even is, the Catalina wine mixer. And Will Ferrell says... I'm so scared right now. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do what's sensible. I'm gonna file for unemployment, and I'm gonna try to get a job at Enterprise Rent-A-Car because they got an excellent corporate structure, and they they give you the tools to be your own boss. And so at that point, like everything that comes before it, I, I'm immediately reading in the context of this sort of imposed capitalist mindset, including the boat, right? So he's got this boat. So Richard Jenkins is. Uh, you know, has worked his entire career doing cochlear implants or whatever the hell it is. And he, he <laughs> gets himself to the point where he can retire and sail around the world in his boat. And what happens? The boat is wrecked. And honestly, though, e- even the idea of a boat, like if you know, I know people who have boats. If you live in this part of the country, you can't swing a dead stuffed dog without like hitting people <laughs> that have boats. But but like if you retire and decide you're going to like um, spend the rest of your time you know, dealing with boats, what could be more work than that? So you retire from work just to do more work. And I think that that's like really, (laughs) this film knows that. And in some sense, there's just no escaping this system where we just work so that we can work so that we can work. And the only people who escape that are these two guys who completely put everything on pause, live at home until they're 40, play the drums, sing, do all these sort of ridiculous things, have these fantasies about riding on, what do they say? Like riding into the sunset on a translucent horse. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll follow they, you into Avalon or something. About? Yeah, it's a, it's Avalon. supposed to be Valhalla. Yeah. There was this whole yeah. like translucent. Yeah. It, it was, it, that but was, I love the writing there. Yeah. That was, really yeah. Cool. And they've got this like really rich fantasy life. So they've sort of escaped it, but <laughs> even they can't escape it. And that to me is like they masturbate in time machines. That's exactly it, right? Like their whole their their existence is is masturbatory, right? Their whole existence is I'll, I'll never forget the time that someone in at my junior high lunch table used the word masturbatory to mean something other than masturbation. Like he, he said something <laughs> along the lines of, you know, that's intellectual masturbation. That was the phrase he used, and I was like, "What the fuck? Intellectual masturbation? What does that mean?" But but honestly, these these guys in this film, they've turned like their existence is masturbatory in the sense of they are completely self-fueled in this kind of closed circuit, right? So they've escaped capitalism. But then in the end they can't, right? In the end But it's they they did what what's the, their thing in the end? Like a karaoke machine for experts. I can't believe <laughs> well, well, they have like karaoke machines in restaurants yeah, and stuff. Yeah, restaurants and bars, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's it's like figurative and literal. So, I mean, I I would love to talk about Katherine Hahn in this film. Um and she has, you know, in addition to the the t- discussion about nudie magazines from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. It's like masturbating in time machines, which is one of my favorite. <laughs> but are you saying uh, that she, she she's not masturbatory? No, well, yeah, no, she's part of them growing up, and so a heteropatriarchy 
and like romance and is, is part of growing up too. And, and the shift from uh, theoretical or figurative masturbatory <laughs> activities as well as literal into like reproductive sex, whether it actually makes babies or not, it, it's part of this story and, and like a little bit maybe more of a messier one. So Catherine Hahn uh, plays Alice, who is Derek, Adam Scott's wife. We meet her and we know immediately upon seeing her face that she is miserable. Like you do not need the next two minutes, which are pretty glorious two minutes to tell you that like she is living the, the worst of lives. Like I would wish this on no one. And then, you know, like upon Dale meeting this new, this newer, younger stepbrother, Brennan's biological younger brother realizing that brennan is correct <laughs> in like characterizing him as like the worst um takes him up on his offer to punch him in the face and punches adam scott in the face such that he falls out of the treehouse the masturbatory treehouse and um <laughs> hits his head and breaks his shoulder <laughs> and and alice he, upon hearing of this uh like is just ecstatic like uh, this is her all her dreams come true her husband has been stood up to and debilitated and she comes on to dale john c Riley's character um with some of the best dialogue in the entire film you are something you're something too i want to roll you into a little ball and shove you up my vagina you could just live there it's warm and it's I want to roll you into a little ball and shove, shove you, you up, up my, my vagina. vagina. I want to walk around with you in there and just know you. Whenever I feel a little tickle or scratch, that it's just your hair <sighs> on my vagina. Please, just do it for me. You could just <laughs> live there. It's warm. It's cozy. Oh, I'd walk around with you in there and just knowing whenever I feel a little tickle or a little scratch, it's your hair on my vagina. <laughs> Please just do it for me. Kiss me. I know. I know. It's too much. I know. It's too much. It's too much. Oh. Oh. I hate my life, Dale. I hate my life, Dale. Dale, I hate my life. <laughs> <laughs> this is their first erotic encounter, which is on the threshold of the family home. They later have a remarkable sex scene in the men's bathroom at a restaurant. It's at least written as if he's a virgin, whether we take him to be literally or not. He has like no idea what's coming. <laughs> literally. <laughs> literally. Literally. <laughs> he, he's like something is happening, which you'd think, you know. You would know. Anyways. Um, well, he's been masturbating <laughs> in the treehouse. Right. <laughs> time machine over and over Perhaps again. Perhaps not so. effectively. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then they have a second amazing sex scene during a Christmas dinner in which she comes on to him saying, I couldn't eat another bite of turkey without thinking of you inside of me. <laughs> um, and it's this ridiculous slapstick comedy where they're very obviously having sex, but no one seems to like they no one supposedly can imagine that they are and therefore are accepting their cover of like a back injury. Oh I I you know, I'd only sort of like it, but because it's her, I like love it, love it, love it. So, you know, her discussion 
of wanting to put him inside her really strongly correlates to this theme that's elsewhere in the film, which is that they both sleepwalk. And there's one scene in which they have sleptwalked. That's not a word. They have sleepwalked. <laughs> and so the two parents are down in the kitchen talking about the fact that, oh, my God, they've trashed the whole house. The kitchen's a wreck. And suddenly they know that sleepwalking has occurred because Mary Steenburgen reaches into the freezer and pulls out her purse and says, he always puts my purse in the freezer when he sleepwalks. And Richard Jenkins says, oh, yeah, my son always puts the couch pillows in the oven when he sleepwalks. And both of those metaphors involve taking objects and stuffing them into like cavernous spaces. And so this film totally knows how Freudian it is, completely gets it. And these guys are both all about crawling back into the womb. That's their whole M.O. And so in some ways to kind of find that cozy space that she's talking about is, is again, and I'm just going to say this, and I realize this sounds like just this completely crass plug for my theme, but capitalism won't allow it. Capitalism is aggressively yanking you out of these comfortable spaces and throwing you out into the world and making you work. So, like, they would love to remain cozy in this way that Catherine Hahn is suggesting. But does capitalism make you, like, a misogynist? Because, like, that's the other half of all this. And I'll say that the, like, Freudian, the, the f- familiarity with Freud is obvious also in those, like, really uh, unresolved finale with Catherine Hahn where she's abandoned on the cliff. <laughs> There's a uh, Look at Dolled that up, yeah. dressed up as, as Kim Novak in Vertigo. Yes. <laughs> complete with purse that Hitchcock was obsessed with purses again as things you tuck other things into um and this is a given yeah you're totally right no it really is I know we sound (laughs) like this is a given go never be more correct every Hitchcock movie and watch for the purses It's, it's like there yeah and like and she like it's the heartbreaking thing of this movie is that she uh she's just stuck you know, like supposedly Derek has come around to be like less of a dick with his brother, but that doesn't guarantee that he's like not still abusive, you know, like in the home, which I take him to be. Oh, yeah. And he's, a, like, he's a doucher for life, no matter right. what. Yeah. Yeah. And while the masturbatory whatever might give you like the icks, um, like I, I'm really more concerned <laughs> about what happens when you actually do move on and like are like a productive adult and like a like a man with a woman like it's like gross it's like that's scary <laughs> hollywood films have this conventional little airlock at the end called the denouement where we get past the climax and we get to see how everything turns out and the assumption is that it's kind of like a fermata right in music like this is just a held note we're at the end of the film and this is how things are going to be forever and how it is forever is Catherine hahn is back with adam scott it's just like you said. So like, it's not just, it's not enough that he leaves her, that Dale leaves her at the precipice of the cliff looking for a whale that's not there. But when they get back to the the, the reality of how things are going to go from there on, she's back with him. She's back with Adam Scott, the, the worst guy in the world. And if he's changed his ways, maybe that's acceptable. But I, I totally agree with both of you. That's probably not the likely conclusion. And it is misog- It is misogynist in that way. Yeah, but it's also like it leaves room for a prequel. Like I want to know where Cap- <laughs> Catherine Hahn's character came from and or, or, or right. a sequel where it's like kind of waffling back and forth between her school days and, and her as an, an older person or, a, you know, older middle-aged person. Um, 
but yeah, I, I don't. But don't forget that 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 scene, that sex scene that happens um, in the in the bathroom during the Christmas dinner. <laughs> it's so outrageous. All these things we're saying um, that also begins and ends with gay or trans jokes. So I, you know, again, I, I hate to I hate to sort of be a wet blanket, but like she comes out and says like. I, well, well, she she comes out and says, you know, I, I my name is whatever, you know. Like, Hi, my name is Jim. Want to suck my dick for money? I wrote it down. Yes, and then and then what does she do with the? And then she pees in the urinal. She she hikes up her her dress and pees in the urinal. And he's like, he loves it. It's like kind of there is there is like I don't I feel like there 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 are certain parts of this film that like kind of turn on you know gay jokes like to be to be crass but the, jo- but the joke is that a woman who takes initiative is like a man i, g- I guess is how i took it rather yeah, but than that's like... misogynist right i mean isn't that sort of i guess i can't imagine a more powerful image for a woman in this film and like maybe that is fucked up at base which, level, which image? The urinal <laughs> of her coming on to him in the men's room. Oh no, but but not just the urinal image, like the whole scene. You mean? Yeah. No, just the whole like yeah. her taking charge repeatedly. Yeah. Right. Like it is coded as like masculinizing, but like you you know what I mean? Like sure. I, I guess I don't actually take as homophobic or transphobic. It's just like like my take. Sorry to everyone on this call. Is that like heterosexuality is fucked? Like, so, like, within that context, I can't, what's, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I, like, I can't, I can't imagine what the answer is for a woman <laughs> married to a man who is helpless and trying to find a way out by way of another man. Like, all she can do is, like, say, fuck me now. I need this. Like, I don't, mm. <laughs> like, I guess, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I have a, especially yeah. with the comedy with this sort of comedy, right? Like, like there is, there is no other way for her. So for me, up until her being dumped and her remaining with Adam Scott, like that's where I'm like within the context of this film and what this film can offer for a woman. Like that's where I'm like, oof, like, like I want her to leave him or I want the afterward, right? We do get a post credit sequence. I want her to still be boning Dale ridiculously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like that would be. Yeah, nobody's, I don't think anyone's watching this thinking that Catherine Hunt should go back <laughs> to her husband. Like that would be, you no, know, but, even Roger but you Ebert. Know, but to your critiques, like, yeah, like what, either she doesn't get a story or she gets a story like this and this, and this story could have gone differently. So, like, I guess that's the level of my critique. Yeah, I'm su- well. I'm suggesting a prequel or a sequel or both. I I, I love Catherine Hahn. I, I say Derek goes off the cliff and gets eaten by a whale, <laughs> and she and Dale, she you and Dale, Dale have or Derek. Sorry. So sorry, Derek. <laughs> Alice pushes Derek right. off the cliff. No one notices or cares, and she and Dale have redonkulous <laughs> sex where she's on top. Slash initiating whatever forever like like that is that is like as free as I can as this film would allow and they didn't go there and that's but, you know, I guess where my frustration doesn't is. doesn't the mere casting not it's certainly not mere casting mere cat mere cast <laughs> it's certainly not merely casting but Catherine Hahn like the fact that it's Catherine Hahn in this role is what takes this over the top. And is what I think everything becomes coded somewhat differently, because if you've seen Catherine Hahn in anything prior to this, you know, you know, here is a strong actor in strong character roles. Who, but it's who more subsequent commands. to this. She wasn't. I is mean, Catherine right? Hahn wasn't Catherine Hahn in 2008 no, in, in right. some ways. I mean, I think I think we 
you know, people had seen her, you know, in this or that. And now she's been in like a thousand other things. So, um, I don't Maybe know. that's part like of the this. reason the films had this afterlife is because people are what, as soon as she appears on screen, you're just like, Oh, thank God. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Adam Scott as well. I don't think Adam Scott's career since 2008 has been you know massive. Right. There's like, yeah, know. I guess they do both sort of boom immediately after this. Oh, this is a film that was called in. Um, by someone whose partner has has known me since a child, and uh, he he in fact called it in while they were like they were like separated by COVID, and she was back in the family home with her parents, which is why she didn't call it in. But anyways, I don't know, Christina's mom and dad, if you're listening, thank you for Christina and uh, Christina, thank you for introducing me to Adam, and Adam, thank you for introducing me to this film. And I would RFU. I had a riot. Um, yeah. Yeah. What I, would, about you I would wholeheartedly RFU. I was on the floor at a couple of moments. Most films don't do that. So. Do you guys know what's good for shoulder pain? If you lick my butthole. <laughs> what? With that. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's in Adam the film. Scott. When he hits Adam no, it's Scott. Not, it's and, a, and he Brandon. falls down and he's like, my shoulder. And he says, hey, Derek, you know what's good for shoulder pain? <laughs> he goes, what? He goes, if you lick my butthole. <laughs> We can't we can't end with that, but I just love that can't so much. Um, yeah, no, that was rocks. That was lovely, and yes, I would recommend this film. I I don't I don't know why I thought we would all hate this movie at the beginning. Maybe we all thought the other person would hate it, and we were yeah. kind of like dreading this whole thing. But no, no, it's it's I wouldn't I wouldn't say it was like uplifting or or heartwarming in any way, shape, or form, which it sort of tries to be um, in some way. But for the bizarre moments and like the the writing and. Like yeah, I mean, I, I would I would say it's pretty unbelievable, and I, and I like it better than most or all of Adam McKay's other films. We never really talked about that. Yeah, yeah I, I was trying to definitely dodge that question. I <laughs> another another reason to be skeptical, but uh, no, this movie's fun, and I feel like if we can get it in without copyright issues, we should close out with a ice ice baby. Thank you, Adam. Thanks, Adam. Recommended for you is a Clark University podcast. All opinions expressed are those of the faculty participants. If you'd like to recommend a film for an upcoming episode of RFU, email us at rfu at clarku.edu. That's rfu at clarku.edu. Or you can leave a voicemail at 508-798-4355. The Recommended for You podcast is produced by Andrew Hart for Clark University. Music by Jimmy Jackson. RFU logo by A.J. Simmons. Great song. It is. Mm. When they say, have you ever been close to tragedy or been close to folks that have? Why, yes, mighty, mighty Boston's. I have been close to tragedy and been close (laughs) to folks that have. Can we please talk about that now in the form of a ska song?